Hey guys, you are listening to Mind Body Grain's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Engler. Here we discuss all things beauty taken through the lens of well being. Thank you for joining. So, before we jump into today's episode, I just want to share a few things. So, first up, we have a new section on our podcast where you can submit all of your lingering beauty questions. Drop in a voicemail and I will answer it here on the podcast. Whether it's a follow up question about a specific episode or you are just curious about something in the beauty space, we want to hear from you. So you can head over to sayhi.chat slash cleanbeautyschool to submit your questions. I went ahead and linked that in the show notes, so you can just click on the link there. Also, if you don't want to leave a voicemail, just go and DM me. My Instagram is at alex underscore Blair underscore. Stay tuned for some questions and answers. On today's episode, we have on Alex McIntosh. He is the co-founder and CEO of Thrive Natural Care. So we met recently while on a trip to Costa Rica in which we visited a co-op that grows a special botanical native to the region that Thrive uses in their products. The farm practices regenerative farming methods. So we explain what regenerative farming is in depth in the episode if you are not already aware of it. But basically, it is a farming technique that enriches the soil and land in the growing process. And enriched is really the best word to use to describe the farm. It is full of wildlife, lush plants, and honestly, just joy. I have been on my fair share of trips to see where various ingredients are grown and harvested in my career as a beauty editor, and I am being very honest when I tell you that this place felt unique and special. So, you know, I am drinking the proverbial regenerative Kool-Aid, and like I said, we cover the methodology and philosophy behind regenerative farming in great detail, so I won't spoil it any more up front, so let's just go and get into it. Alex, welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here, Alex. Yeah. Well, it is so good to sort of see you again. I know we are not in person this time. We are over the computer, but I'll I'll let this hold me over till hopefully I get to see you in person again. For all of our listeners, just as a little peek behind the curtain, Alex and I spent time together in Costa Rica visiting a farm where some ingredients that go into Thrive's products are grown and we'll, you know, we'll get into a lot of that there, but, you know, we've already spent some good time together. So I know this conversation is going to be very exciting for the both of us, but I want to make sure that the audience is on the same page as us and that they know your story. What is your background? What is your journey into the beauty industry? So it's, it's awesome to be here on the Clean Beauty School. There's so many things that we could talk about today. If we start with a little bit of sort of my background, there's three funny words that I sort of use to, to stereotype myself. One is health nut, the other is tree hugger, and the third is entrepreneur. And I've just been really passionate, Alex, about healthy, healthy living, the health of our planet, and about aiming business higher. And so it's a real force for positive impact. For most of my life, those are things that have been sort of core. And I've been super lucky really for, I almost hate to admit this, but for the last like 20, 23 years, I've been able to help build and lead three really 
for me, beautiful and sort of in the larger scale transformative projects. The first that I was part of was actually at the Nature Conservancy, which is a great mm -hmm. environmental organization. The second was in the corporate sector at a really great division of Nestle. And the third and sort of my current adventure that we met as part of is in the natural, natural personal care sector and that's Thrive. And so honestly, for me is kind of like the health nut tree hugger entrepreneur. A great day <laughs> is where I get to work with really passionate talented people to do something that will leave things better where I get to learn yeah. and where I get to have some fun along the way. So that's kind of a little bit about my background and me. Okay. So what was it about the clean and natural beauty space that you were drawn to? You know, the beauty space is pretty broad and the clean space is a growing sector of it, but you know, it's certainly not the majority of it. So what was it about this sector of the space that you were drawn to? Yeah, there's, it's, it's a good question, Alex. So I have a personal plugin as many skincare or beauty entrepreneurs have sort of a personal plugin to this that, that I'll share because it helps sort of ground, um, both the philosophy that we have with our company, but also the, the sort of way we position Thrive Natural Care's products. And then I'll have a few thoughts just sort of on, on as we were building the business out, like how natural and beauty and clean sort of, sort of framed the way we're going about it. So my own personal part of my, my sort of reason for Thrive is it involves a bathroom mirror. That's the, the sort of admission that I'll make. And that is, I can remember many points growing up and I'm sure many people are the same way, looking in the mirror and seeing like lots of redness, lots of irritation. And my background is, is Northern European. So I'm Scottish and Norwegian and I have very sensitive skin and I lead a very active life and especially building this company, there's a good amount of stress, right? Like who hasn't had yeah. that over the last couple of years? And the problem was conventional skincare really further irritated my skin. So when I would either try products that were supposed to be relatively straightforward or things that were targeted, I would often um, end up having worse skin reaction through most of my young adult life. And then the problem with natural skincare is a lot of it didn't really work. The things that did work, and there's some really good sort of natural clean formulas, those were often really expensive beyond what I was comfortable paying. And I think what many people are comfortable paying. And so in a way, part of my journey into clean and natural beauty was finding that many of the products I was using were either more irritating for my skin and seeing some of these skin problems on many other people, or they were much healthier, but they were very expensive. And so the way we kind of designed Thrive was to sort of fill that gap. So clean and natural was really an out, outgrowth of both that experience of skincare but also, and this gets to the sort of tree hugger side that I mentioned before, <laughs> it's also an outgrowth of being a lifelong student of ecology and of nature. And this is where I think the connection with Mind Body Green's philosophy, particularly on your podcast here, is really good. The, the sort of connection between beauty and well-being, it's a really great yeah. analogy, right? If, if, if we're mindful of our well-being, of self-care, beauty, real beauty follows, right? And so, yeah, we can, my philosophy is we can enhance it a little bit with product, but at the core, everything follows from well-being and self-care. So if, you know, you eat McDonald's and Twinkies every day, you don't exercise and you don't manage your stress, you're going to create a whole suite of skin problems that products just are not going to fix. They may mask it, but they won't fix it. Similarly, yep. in the beauty space, kind of along the lines we've discussed before, if you put on your skin ingredients that are grown with pesticides and herbicides and synthetic fertilizers 
and you mix that with a really good helping of synthetic ingredients, you're really inviting more skin irritation, bad skin health, and even autoimmune issues, which has happened in my family. On the other hand, if you put on like cleaner, healthier products and, you know, Thrive Natural Cares are definitely in this category, regeneratively grown ingredients, which we'll talk more about later, and you wrap them in clean formulas, you're going to have much healthier, better looking skin. And so- yeah. I think that's really been my entree is both personal experience, frustration with a lot of what was in the market. And then also as someone who's really looked at the larger um, sort of ecological health and human health and saying, wow, the, the skin is a perfect reflection of that, right? And so I want to have products that, that really fit that philosophy. And so anyway, the, for clean health and for, for natural beauty, I think a fun part of the story that we'll unpack a little bit today is that we have these really interesting super plant ingredients that run across our whole line and we grow them these plants in their native landscapes in costa rica yeah. and they're really rich and interesting stories that come from these plants and the way they're grown and so we've gotten to the point today where these super plant ingredients actually work better than conventional ingredients and so the thing that i love about where natural beauty and particularly clean beauty is going is the old trade-off that we used to have to make between healthy and performance has really evaporated. And so now I just don't think there's a great excuse other than companies that want to have cheap ingredients and spend their money on marketing. There's no excuse for us as consumers to use products that are irritating or unhealthy. We can still get good performance from things that are clean and beauty. And that's why I like this philosophy that you have between sort of more holistic health and beauty. Yeah, and we are definitely going to be diving deep, deep into the regenerative farming aspect because I just simply loved learning about it in our time together. But I also want to pick your brain. Before we get there, I want to pick your brain mm. a little bit more on sustainability. You identify mm. as a tree hugger. And just getting to know you, I know that sustainability and being environmentally yeah. conscious is such a big part of your identity and also the identity of the brand. And, you know... I, I would only hope that we all identify as that way, but you especially. So I want to know the origin story there. You know, what mm. what clicked in you that drove you to be so passionate about this? So there's sort of a general answer. And then there's a really specific moment, which I think many okay. of us have these in our lives, right? Where yeah. there's just, there's something like a light bulb goes on or we get a pit in our stomach and something happens. So I'll kind of share that too, because it really, in a way, summarizes this whole thing. But so... The journey with Thrive, part of that was as I, as I was, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of Thrive, and it's been a really interesting journey. The, the company itself, like the way I talk about what we do is that we make super plant skincare that regenerates your skin, our planet, and rural farming communities. So that's sort of the focus. And so the path kind of there, the genesis, part of that was that mirror, the bathroom mirror. I'm like, oh my God, like my skin is so irritated and the stuff I'm trying is making it worse. The other part was if you can leave it standing in a water factory. <laughs> and that's, I mean, it's like, okay, that's like sort of an odd thing. So this is either where our conversation goes really sideways or it fits. You have to make the call on that. But so give it to me. Why this huge water factory? So Alex, it was a really interesting moment. So when I was younger, I worked with a great team of people and it was a bottled water company. It was a huge division okay. within Nestle. And my job was to not only think through, but to build out and then to run all of our sustainability. And I remember, there's a, it's a very long conversation, but the short version of this is 
after many years of doing this with this company, we had gotten to the point where we accepted ownership of not necessarily all the problems around bottled water, but many of the problems with it. I was able to help the company sit down with some of its most vocal opponents and understand that there were issues around human right to water and using natural resources, not to mention bottle and plastic waste, right? Just like tons of stuff. And then the, the disparities in wealth between municipal water and, and bottled water and who can afford those things. And so there were a whole suite of issues. I worked my butt off for many years and I was kind of in the vanguard of the early sustainability executives, like, you know, my colleagues at Apple and and Pepsi and Ford Motor Company, like we're all kind of blazing these new trails. And I'd work super hard. And I remember standing in our biggest water factory, which is up in Maine, staffed by amazing people. It makes Poland spring, which you know, many of your, your listeners probably know well. And I remember standing in this factory after all these years, we lightweighted our bottles. We had these really ambitious water monitoring programs, things around recycling, all these commitments we had made. And I remember standing in this factory and saying, there's so much stuff coming in here and out of here, the scale. It's the biggest water factory actually in the world. And I remember sitting there thinking, if I'm Thelma and Louise, I've helped the car slow from 60 to 45, but it's still going off the cliff. Sure. And I think reasonable people can argue about bottle water, good or bad. There's many arguments on both sides there. But for me, this insight, this moment on this fall day when I was in this water factory was seeing the scale of stuff going out. And I remember thinking, as Bill McDonough, a very famous sustainability thinker says, being less bad does not mean being good. Reducing the weight of the bottles, using less plastic, pushing recycling up from some horrible rate to a less horrible rate using less water, those are all being less bad. And if you start in many communities where the air is very bad, the soil is very bad, there's lots of contamination, sustainability says it's not going to be worse. We're going to keep it the same. And we've mm -hmm. done this in so many places in the planet. And so I basically looked at almost like the operating system of sustainability doesn't work because we're just leaving things as they are. And I thought there has to be a better way. And I started talking to some of the most amazing people based on this incident, the water factory. And I eventually ended up leaving Nestle and starting Thrive Natural Care. And the idea, the sort of organizing principle, Alex, was creating a business that would have a regenerative or a leave it better impact. And the idea is that it goes way beyond as a company, buy one, give one, which is perfectly fine. It goes sure. way beyond making money and donating to charity, which is perfectly fine. It's better than the alternative. The idea here was to design our products so that not only were they really good, better for our customers, but the business model itself would bring degraded lands back to life and boost the lives of people. So that literally as the company grew almost like a tree in a forest that sheds its leaves, those leaves are not pollution their food for the yeah. next generation, right? And I wanted to think, how could you design a company to do this? And the good thing is there were a small number of companies, Patagonia and others that were really on the same question. So that became the organized principle of Thrive. So when people say, what was the path to Thrive? I say a bathroom mirror and a water factory. <laughs> well, it, it led to quite the operation, even if it started off in front of a bathroom mirror and in a water factory, it led to a farm in Costa Rica, multiple farms in Costa Rica, which brings me to my next question. And a question we've been teasing a little bit is mm. regenerative farming. 
Can you explain what this is for people who may not know? It is, you know, it's an up and coming buzzy term, but it is certainly not ubiquitous mm. yet. Yeah, great. So let's unpack this in a couple of ways. And I'm sort of a visual person. So I'll say something that I think will answer the question in the most useful way. And then I'll, I'll give like a visual that we can put in our heads that helps. So right. really regenerative farming or even regenerative business, which is sort of a, a larger frame of it, is it's a philosophy. And for farming, it's a farming method that produces better crops and it restores places to health both lands and communities. So it's a philosophy and it's a method that, that over time improves places, right? And it's really trending very hot these days. But if you think about it, if you imagine three visuals in front of you, each that has an arrow, the first has an arrow that's pointing down. And what this, this visual would signify is if we had a company that, I don't know, makes earrings, we go to places that are pristine and we mine the soil for silver or gold or whatever it is. And we put out lots of pollutants and we, you know, cut the trees and we take all the soil out and we leave after we've gotten all the things we want. So the arrow is essentially the ecological health or just the health of that area. And most of modern capitalism and human history has been us getting really efficient at doing this to make our stuff. So we take stuff from the ground. We turn it into something beautiful or interesting. It's used and then it's thrown away and it gets sort of put into waste. And that is the arrow going down. So that's the old way of doing things. The more new way, sustainability, is the second picture. And if you imagine the arrow going like this, and what that means is we're going to do things today so that they're not worse in the future. Okay. So that works if you're in a good spot. It's healthy. Your land is productive. You've got enough money. As long as it's not getting worse, that's great. It lets it be there for the next generation. But if you're starting from a bad place, you're a farm where the soil has been really degraded or eroded. You used to be really wealthy, but now you've got a thousand dollars in the bank. This line is not going to work for you. Right. Yeah. And so the idea of regenerative, the third box is where the arrow is going like this. And that is in this case, symbolic of the health of a place or of a community. And regenerative is the act of the place coming back to life. And so really. Regenerative is trending pretty hot. We believe that it's the future of skincare and also the future of business. And Thrive is really kind of on the leading edge of that. And we can talk more about the different components of it. But in a nutshell, that's how I'd sort of break down regenerative. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get into some of the components. I remember you guys talked pretty heavily about five pillars. Do I have that correct? We call it the five cycles, but it's, it's totally the same. Five cycles, same okay, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, can you explain these to us? Yeah. So, so let's imagine that you and I and your listeners are standing on at a farm and we're just starting a relationship with them. So we want to grow these super plants and this farm is owned by, let's say a woman led cooperative in Costa Rica, like the one that you visited. So the questions that we would have in our head are almost like if, if you went to a doctor which is what is the condition of the place now? And what does healthy look like? Yeah. And what needs to happen to go from one to the other, right? So for us, we started looking at a few aspects of a place's health because we were a small company. We were just getting going and we were kind of on the leading edge of, we choose, so this is not charity. We actually choose our ingredients the super plant ingredients, and we grow them 
and we'll talk more about this when we get to the products, in a very special way. And we're doing these things to help run our business, but the, the build-in for the business model is that it, it's got to also have these outcomes for the land and for the farmers. And so anyway, the five cycles is, it's a really leading edge. It's like a holistic approach that we developed to partner with mother nature to restore lands to health that have been degraded and where communities are struggling. And the cool thing that we're going to unpack later, because otherwise this becomes very tree huggery and less of the beauty is the cool thing is that this five cycle approach really makes the plant extracts much more potent and pure, right? So the beauty angle is actually embedded in this. It's Mm -hmm. sort of the beautiful outcome. And here's the analogy I'll say to the five cycles and, and just to, I guess, make it clear what they are. So there are five systems or processes that nature has, at least the way we break it down in each of these places. And so we're looking at the soil and mineral. We're looking at water. We're looking at solar, the sun. We're looking at the ecosystem dynamic, how all the animals and and organisms interact. And then we're looking at the human social. And so each of these things is, is like, if you can almost imagine a ring where they're all interacting and the health of these things in totality with all the functioning parts is really what we're focused on with five cycles. And so the analogy to a doctor visit is this, if you were not feeling well and you went to a doctor and she took your temperature, but she didn't take your blood pressure, she didn't take your heart rate, she didn't take your skin health, she didn't take your mental health. You've really got to look at the whole picture, right? To achieve real health. And so that's why by focusing on these five things, in addition to just, is the soil healthy? All these different dynamics, it's really a way to look at the the overall health of a place. And so we use these five cycles to take almost like an evaluation or snapshot of on this farm, what is the land starting point? So the soil could be good, but there could be no ground cover. And when rain comes, it's beating and, 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 and eroding and degrading the soil. And then that has other implications for the farmer and so forth. And so what we're looking at is how these five aspects fit together. And then just like a person, managing the land so that the plants we're growing have all the benefits they need for our customers. But so the land over time, it's almost like mother nature. We're saying, Hey, we got your back and we've done some terrible stuff over the last 30, 40 years with cattle or other things here and not taking care of it. But now we're going to help you get back on your feet. And once you do that, then the cycles start working together and everything feeds on itself. So we're really lucky for this methodology that we have. It's quite advanced now. It was really inspired by a famous ecologist and author in, in Australia. His name is Charles Massey. And I, he's got a very big book that took me a long time to read, but it was transformative, Charles Massey. But then we worked with these two amazing restoration ecologists, these female practitioners, doctors, Alicia and Zoraida Kaye. And they helped us basically tropicalize one of the most innovative business approaches in the world. And so that is five cycles. And that's what we used on the farm that you visited in Costa Rica. Another aspect that I just so appreciated when I was there is the community aspect. Mm. And I know that that is such a, a large part of why you decide to go into a certain farm or a certain mm. area. And I want to highlight this aspect because I think so often when we talk about sustainability, we think just in terms or just being eco-conscious or eco-friendly, we think just in terms of plants and plant life. Mm. But we're a part of the earth too. Mm -hmm. 
you know? And so we need to consider ourselves when we consider being eco-friendly. And I think when you prioritize the community, I think that is a way that you can act on that. And so I want to know when you set out to find farms, when you set out to find people to work with, Mm. you know, what is that community aspect that you're looking for? And why is that so important to you? Mm. For a couple of reasons, the community aspect and and the the farmer aspect is very important. So the stage we're at now is um, we're an emerging brand and our scale is growing, but most of our partners that we have in in this business model are smallholder farmers in Costa Rica or women-led co-ops, right? And so to, to take a step back, so the way our business model works is this, is we make the super plant skincare and we have these three ingredients that are, it's almost like the context, right? For your question. We have these three ingredients that we commercialize, these plant extracts. They're not in, any other, not in any other skincare in the world. We chose them for a number of reasons that we'll talk about later, but we have these three plants and they're native to the place that we're growing them in Costa Rica. And so we reintroduce these plants on places that are eroded and degraded and beaten down. And because of the way we grow them with the farmers, the land comes back to life and there's some benefits to the farmers for their livelihoods. And then there's benefits to the consumers, to our customers with the products themselves. We'll talk more about that later. But in this is very implicit, the exact question you asked, which is all of this happens on the farmer's land and in partnership with the farmers. And we had this idea from the start, but the reason we do this is both because of a philosophical passion that we have, but also a very real business need. And that is what I think keeps all this real. And so let me unpack those. So from a philosophical standpoint, the way we talk about regenerative impact is we call it leave it better. And it's this idea that as a company, through our partnerships and our customers by buying Thrive, is you can actually leave things better than they were before you started, right? And a holistic approach to regenerative, especially as we broke it down with the five cycles, it incorporates farmer partners and the local community where our farms are, are operating in Costa Rica. They're really integral to the whole equation of better health. More pragmatically, the farmers are the ones that help us perfect this really innovative, regenerative model. And they help us keep things practical and simple and useful. And why is this important? It's because I didn't leave a really good job and take on all the craziness of being a skincare entrepreneur. And my team didn't. We didn't take that on only for the impact of our direct farm partnerships. We really want Thrive to be an example, a case study, a role model, not only for businesses in skincare and beauty, but even in other sectors of what happens when you design your business model to have this impact. And if there's almost no end, Alex, to, to, to examples of companies going to farmers in developing countries or rural areas and suggesting and implementing all mm. kinds of sort of complicated and expensive growing techniques. But the problem is other farmers look at that and they say, well, sure, if you give me a million dollars a year, I'm happy to build all these crazy contraptions and do all this like special spraying and all the other things. But if the farmer sees something that his neighbor's doing and to her, it looks like she's getting more yield, she's working less 
and there's something about it that looks like it's really working for the plants. That's when the pull comes. And so the farmers have really helped us keep this real. And so for that reason, they've really been integral partners for us from the start. And the good news is that not only does this boost their livelihoods because they make money not only selling the leaves, but the oils to us, but it also makes better products. And one of the things we'll talk more about later, but one of our farmers is an amazing farmer. We didn't get a chance to visit him when you were there, but his name is Don Juan. He owns a small farm in the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. So it's very hot and very humid there. They get lots of rain. And this is where we grow one of our super plants called Chica. And this is a man, this farmer who doesn't even have, probably has not even finished, maybe didn't even go to high school. But he is so thoughtful in growing these plants. He literally goes out and talks to them. And at first we were a little worried that he was kind of crazy, but it's because (laughs) he both understands how to take care of these plants and he's investing something in it because he knows he's building a model for his kids and grandkids that hopefully can be really useful for them. And he also knows that people like you and me and your listeners are going to use these products. And so he's really proud to do this. But at the same time, if we're suggesting a lot of things that are not simple and practical, let's say, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. And so it's really been helpful for us to work with farmers like Don Juan and in the farm that we visited together, Copecuna, which is a woman-led cooperative. The good thing there in the partnership is that their annual earnings have increased over 300% since our partnership started. And just last year, they went up 24% from the prior year. And so for me personally, Alex, as a founder of Thrive, putting a lot of my time and energy for my team, our farmers are not only partners. They're really creating this model with us. And they also inspire us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just like, yeah. they're really, really committed to what they're doing. And this model allows that to come out. You know, your answer sparked something in me that I wanted to ask you about. It's a phrase that I, I heard you say that really stuck with me enlightened colonialism. And I think it's something that is, we probably see quite a bit in our industry, even if I didn't really have a a phrase for it. Can you explain what you mean by this? Yeah. So enlightened colonialism, it's a bad thing. We work really hard to avoid it. We're not a perfect company. We have a really big vision and we try to be very humble in where we are in that journey. I think the thing that I try to keep myself and my team focused on is What do we want to become and are we taking the right steps to get there with respect to enlightened colonialism you know i'm i'm fortunate i'm i've many friends who are entrepreneurs with some really great natural products companies whether they're beauty or their food or beverage and one of the things that we talk about that's really kind of dismaying is what you and i are terming here enlightened colonialism and really this is the way it works and you'll see you know, obviously why we try to avoid it, which is whether it's a drink, it's a food, it's a beauty product. There's a pretty long history in people from the US, Canada, Europe, wherever, going to some place that has a lot of biodiversity and finding some fruit, some nut, some seed, some flower that has some really interesting story and more importantly, some really interesting benefit. And what we do with good intent is we take that thing from that place and we come back and we, we tell that story and that becomes almost like the hero ingredient in our drink, in our food, in our beauty product. And 
even when it's done as fair trade. So the farmer, she or he is making more money than they would if they were selling it just sort of on the open market. There's the sense of appropriation, the sense of the real money is being made here in the US or in Canada or Europe where the marketing is done. And the farmers are making pennies, right? And so we were really conscious of that, Alex, when we were starting Thrive and saying, how can we flip that? I mean, we need to run a business, so we can't sure. be just throwing money away, but how do we flip that? And, and there's several ways that we've gotten away from that. One is by creating actual partnerships legally where the, far, the, partner is, the farmer is our partner. The second is by having genuine intent in all of our conversations with farmers that they are not our farmers, they are our partners. But probably more importantly, it's setting up a number of financial and support mechanisms that really are asking the question, if our company went out of business tomorrow, which I certainly hope it doesn't, I don't think it's going to, things are going well, but if we went out of business tomorrow or we disappeared, what would happen to this farmer? Are they better off than before we came? And so this takes the form of capital investment. So for example, investing in building a distillation unit at the farm, one of the farms we're working with so that the farmers can go from selling leaves to selling oil, not just to us, but to others. Sometimes it's investing in one of our other farms, a beautiful story that grows our chica. The farmer has transformed his land. He's gone from the thrive plot, the regenerative plot on a larger farm, seeing the benefit, particularly in the dry season of what regenerative farming allows his soil and his plants to do, transforming his whole farm to manage that way. And then his neighbors stopping by and saying, Don Juan, Gabriel, what are you doing here? You're getting yield of these, these fruits at a time that we never can. And during the dry season, your place looks green and ours is all brown. And so this farmer has actually been hired by several large farmers in the area to actually show them to introduce a lot of these regenerative wow. techniques. And so one of the things we invested in was a loan for them to get transportation, to buy their own transportation to facilitate this. Now, obviously we love telling that story, but we're not rich yet as a company. We're not, we're not a place where we have tons of extra money, but we felt that those types of investments are really in the leave it better category. And so enlightened colonialism is where we're just doing a nicer version of what we've done for a long time to people mm. from the developing world. And it's being aware of that. So you don't try to do it as little as possible yeah. and then creating in your business mechanisms so that they are partners and they benefit whether you're there or not. Yeah. I mean, just a lot to think about there. I, ever since, you know, you kind of brought that phrase to my attention, it's something that I really have been chewing on and mm. evaluating as a part of our industry and just the larger industry that, you know, as a consumer, and it is something that it is, it is quite pervasive. So, you know, it's something that I've definitely been, I, certainly have been thinking about quite a bit since you brought it up. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is something that we we have alluded to talking about is this idea that growing ingredients in such a way as regenerative farming, it has benefits down the line. And those benefits can be seen on someone's skin for their own mm. health. And Without understanding the mechanism behind it, I think that probably sounds like wishful thinking for a lot of people. They probably mm. hear that and they're like, okay, you're just trying to sell me something. But it's not. There's real science behind this, right? And, you know, you know that. I know that because I've done some research on wild harvesting and regenerative farming and, and these practices that go into it. But let's explain it to people. 
what happens when you farm and grow ingredients in this way? What happens to the plant? Now, this is fun. This is, I, I have to try to keep myself on a leash here because it's such an interesting story and there's so many neat parts and it could probably fill six podcasts, but I think to take your question specifically is, so what happens with regenerative? And, and, and the short answer is you actually get healthier skin because of what's happening with the plants. And you get healthier skin than you would with conventionally grown or even healthfully organically grown ingredients. And so that's what I think the really cool learning has been for me as someone who's built a company in skincare is to see that at the end of the day, if you do this right, what you really have is a company that's more than a deeper shade of green, just a little bit more sustainable or a sort of back to our prior topic, a more sort of fair form, a fair trade relationship with the farmers. What you really have is you just have better skincare. And so if we unpack that, like here's kind of it, I'll, I'll talk just for a minute, Alex, about the, 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 the sort of the business model we have, and then specifically what's the mechanism that kind of makes us better skin health outcome. So the business model is this, we make skincare and we have these super plants that are unique to our products. And that's sort of what really powers the whole line of skincare, whether it's sun care or it's sort of resilient skin, whatever it is. And the way we choose these super plants is we, we start in Costa Rica and we say, what plants from a list of a thousand plants long have a couple criteria that they meet. One is they do something better for the skin, the plant oil or extract, do something better for the skin than a conventional equivalent. Two, they're not widely known because we're in a competitive industry. And part of what sure. we want to be able to have people excited about is, okay, if I use this, is there something different? Or are they just using, you know, the same old, same old. And the third, and this is really kind of the breakthrough part of our business model is does this plant have an outsized role in the health of the ecosystem, either in attracting pollinators or restoring soil health. Does it, does it, does it, does it punch above its weight in doing something for the health of an area? And so once we chose these three plants from a really long list, Alex, we went into places that were eroded and degraded. Some of the farmers we've talked about here, the woman led co-op others, and we replant these plants, these native plants in areas that have been eroded and degraded. Okay. And what makes these plants, and we take the plant oils that then are farmed from here and we wrap around them, these really beautiful, natural, clean formulas. And we sell those as Thrive Natural Care Skincare. That's sort of the model. But what's really interesting, and now there's a lot more data to your point that makes this connection between these regenerative plants is the way the plants themselves have really good skin properties. And so we're doing our homework to provide a good benefit there. And we're the only company in the world that has these three super plants. But beyond that, the way the plants are grown makes them more potent and pure. And that's what delivers the really good skin benefit. So if we unpack that and say, okay, great, more potent, pure, but like, what is the mechanism? So what's really interesting here is if you think about this is if you have a farm that's regenerative and you're growing our chica plant, and I have a farm that's conventional, and I'm growing the same chica plant and we're within a mile of each other. Here's what's going on differently and why the skin benefit is so dissimilar. On your farm, well, I should start with mine. So I'm the conventional farmer. And what I'm doing is I want to maximize production of the leaves. And so what I'm doing is I'm spraying herbicides around 
this plant that I want to optimize for so that nothing else competes for, for soil health or for sun or for water. So I'm spraying herbicides. The other thing I'm doing is these bugs are eating the leaves and I need to produce a lot of leaves. So I'm spraying pesticides. Yeah. And the other thing is I want the plant to grow a lot. So I'm putting fertilizer in. And occasionally what I need to do is I need to burn, like actually burn the land itself so that everything gets cleared out and I can optimize for these plants. And so in doing that, what I'm essentially doing conventionally farming is I'm removing almost all of the organisms in life that are in the soil that are competing with this plant. And the plant is like, this is great. I love it. I just get to worry about shooting straight up. I don't have to worry about insects. I don't have to worry about other plants. I don't have to worry about food. It's all there. Okay. So think about that as a person. Okay. There's no stress for that person. They just have to grow up on your farm. What you're doing is you're looking and saying, how does nature do this? There's lots of other plants. There's insects. They're all kind of competing. They're all interwoven and you got little things nibbling on the plant, the chica plant. And so the plant on your farm is creating these compounds to dissuade the insects from eating all your leaves. Your plants are creating compounds to help you grow when you're competing with other plants for nutrients in the soil. Your plants are needing to be really efficient with the food that's in the soil because there's not a lot of artificial stuff being put in. And the plant is doing this because it wants to survive and grow. But the really cool benefit is your plant at your regenerative farm versus my plant conventional farm has all of these compounds that are very concentrated, very strong that it's producing, whereas mine are just being kind of dumb and happy and just going straight up in the air. So when you harvest these plants, and this is where the clinical data is now really interesting, there's some extremely important differences in the compounds that the plant is using for itself that are really beneficial to us. So for example, one of them is antioxidants. So one of our plants, the chica that we're talking about here, has 17 times the antioxidant delivery as vitamin E. And that's both because the plant is very good at it, but because of the way it's growing and needing to struggle, it's producing 17 times the amount of antioxidant power that my plants are, right? That's amazing. Another example is anti-inflammatory, 20% more anti-inflammatory related compounds in your regenerative grown plants versus my conventional ones. And so when you're putting these into products, what you've really got are these, they're almost like ingredients that are turbocharged to provide all of this benefit to your skin. And so this is where to bring it back then with our model that we wanted to have a model that helped leave things better. And yeah. what's been really neat over the last couple of years that you alluded to in your question is if you grow something regeneratively, the nature of that agricultural practice makes the plants more potent and pure because they're not sucking up all these synthetic fertilizers and pesticides. They're actually creating compounds that are much better for your skin. And that is why we have this clinical data saying for skin health, it's actually better for you. And if you care and you want to be a tree hugger or you just want to have a good environmental footprint, that's nice. But all you really have to care about is just better skin health. And this model does it. Yeah. I mean, I... It, it, stuff like this just makes me so excited because it's it's what we know to be true, even about ourselves. We know that, you know, we know a certain amount of stress is actually good for the body. That is why people do work that like hit classes. That's why they work out. We know that even like with the skin, a certain amount of productive stress on the skin spurs collagen mm -hmm. production. We know that 
a, you know, a minor stress response in the body does what, you know, it, it has beneficial effects because your body goes into overdrive because it yeah. thinks that it needs to heal itself. So we know that this is true about our own bodies. It only makes sense that it's true about plants. I mean, it's just when you think about what we've done to farming and plant sourcing for the past several years, I, I, I mentioned this to you. It almost just makes me upset because like what has been taken away from us? Yeah. You know, these beautiful, incredible, powerful plants that not only taste better, but they perform better. They, you know, it's all across the board and it's been taken away from us. And it just makes me so sad to think about. So, you know, hearing about people who are actually putting in the work to create something to bring this back is, you know, it just, it, I find it so, so inspiring. When you made this connection that there was, that your plants or the ingredients that you were sourcing, that they had these better compounds and more antioxidant power, you know, was that surprising to you? Was that something that you always knew going into it? Was this, you know, what was that process like when you made this realization that you were making something that had better ingredients? The honest answer is it was really beautiful and helpful, but it took a while to figure it out. And I actually, truthfully, I didn't know that, that we would have this story when we began. We really wanted to make great skincare and have a business model that we were proud of that was really this regenerative sort of leading edge thing. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know, I didn't anticipate how strong that connection would be. And I guess to kind of bring it full circle is one of the things I've loved in really getting to know Mind Body Green is, I mean, literally those words, it's we are on a journey as a species. And, you know, as Obama has said, it's not a linear, it's not always straightforward. Sometimes it's a step back. But increasingly over time, we're getting more and more holistic and sophisticated about not only understanding ourselves and the way our bodies work, i.e. My body isn't, your body, our bodies are just organisms that are of all of these different systems and parts. And in order to live a healthy life, we have to consider the whole body. It's not enough just to eat healthy food. You also have to have many other aspects, right? Just as our bodies are that way, so is nature, so is the world. And I think as a species, the really beautiful journey that we're on that in large part, Mind Body Green facilitates is expanding our understanding of how those pieces fit together and how they're all necessary for true health. It's integration, Mind Body Green, right? Or the way we're doing regenerative. And so when we originally started this, we wanted to make great skincare and we wanted to have a really visionary positive impact business model that we call regenerative. What happened over time, because we're in a very competitive marketplace, was learning more and more about, as we were looking at the quality of our super plant extracts and how to harvest them. And we started really becoming much more holistic and thinking, well, what is it in this plant that has been so helpful to people for generations using it? And then what is it creates those compounds in the plant. And if you grow plants this way versus that. And so it was really us almost like going from children to adults and realizing like, wow. So just like you mentioned, you is a great example you used about exercise, you know, especially with muscles, a little bit of stress on the muscles actually is what helps them grow. And when we started to realize a little bit of stress, the way nature does stress, 
on our plants actually makes them much more helpful to us as people. Even as the area of the land around the plant is becoming more healthy, there's something there. And as we drilled into it, we got the data, we said, oh my God, well, this is great. I mean, this is obviously very helpful to us, but we didn't know that going in. And it's just this really beautiful consequence. I think of growing up and becoming more holistic in the way we look at our business and learning more about it. We're still very humble, but man, it is so beautiful to see that. I, I want to ask, what are your favorite products in the line? <laughs> So I have, I have now a few. Now that we've waxed poetic about, you know, the sourcing and the growing and the formulas. <laughs> um, there's a few that I love them all. People sometimes ask me, do you use your products? And I sort of look at them like, you asked me if I'm human. I do. I love our products. We have a really, yeah. really beyond the super plant ingredients. There's an amazingly talented person who runs our regenerative supply chain, Mario, whom you met, and he has built the supply chain that that partners with the farmers to create these super plants. And those are in all of our products. And then the magic happens when Lauda, with her really beautiful, clean formulas, she's a, an amazing skincare expert and formulator in Costa Rica. And she wraps around these super plants, these really beautiful, elegant, simple, healthy formulas. And I love all of our babies that we have. We kind of call them our babies. The ones that I think I'm most proud of that I use most frequently are three. One is our daily defense SPF 30, and this is a mm -hmm. daily moisturizer for the face for women and men. The, it's our best seller and it's a real breakthrough product. This is one of the places we talked earlier in this conversation about how the trade-offs, the old trade-offs between better for you, but works healthy for you works. Those trade-offs are disappearing. And so this daily defense product that we have, Alex, it is a hundred percent mineral sunscreen but it's zero white face or greasiness. And it has our super plants in there and some really amazing actives to help better protect and restore skin health. But I love wearing it because I can put it on. I actually have it on now. I was outside a little while ago with my, my dog and it's very sunny here today. And you can wear it and you don't, you're not shiny, you're not white, you're not greasy, but it's, it's all mineral sunscreen and it's just great. So I love that one and that's our best seller. And we sell that yeah. on Amazon and our website. The other one that I really love is our energy scrub. I mean, that's an exfoliant. I and mean, that was one of our first products, an exfoliant for women and men. And the reason I love this one is it has a really beautiful, fresh scent. It helps take off the dead skin cells. It helps for me and for men prevent ingrown hairs. And I think women like it in particular because it, it, it avoids two things. Many conventional products use amazingly little balls of plastic, the same type of plastic mm -hmm. that we have in water bottles. And those are actually okay for exfoliating, but they're awful for the environment. I mean, imagine using, you know, thousands of these little granules and then they wash down the drain, they go in the ocean. And the reality is these plastic particles are actually not any more effective than natural ones. They're just cheaper and they're ubiquitous. Yeah. And so there's no reason to use this. Many natural exfoliants, they have often very tough and jagged shells, apricot shell, walnut shell. And those can really create micro tears that are, especially for people with sensitive skin, are quite problematic. And Lauda, our great formulator, designed this beautiful exfoliant that I love using. I have dry skin, so I use it like two or three times a week. And it's just great. I, I really have loved it. And the last one is our newest product. The last product is it's our skin recovery serum. And we got out of plastic in this one. It's in a glass bottle. And what makes this amazing is it's really good for those days where you've been outside in the sun or exercising or with friends and you've washed your face and you put it on. And it's a great, 
great serum to help your skin recover its health after exposure to that stress. And I like it because it goes in quickly, it's not sticky. And I really do notice with my sensitive skin that it really helps calm. And so I usually use that like both in the morning at night after I wash my face and I use it before I put on lotion because I have very dry skin, but I love it. And we just launched this one a couple of weeks ago and I, I love it. I think the packaging is beautiful and it's just got a great story with these super plants. So those are, are mine. I don't know if you have yourself any that- Yeah, that... well, I was I was about to jump in and say, I've been using the last one and I, I really, really love it. And I love that, you know, it has a bakuchi oil, so you can use it both day and night without worrying about like any sort of like sensitivities, sun sensitivities, because I, you know, I, I'm at an age where I care about retinol and anti-aging, et cetera, et cetera. So I love that I can use this and I don't have any of the irritation that comes with, you know, more typical harsher retinols. And I mean, you just have the best sensitive skin, SPF. It is so good. Mm, thank the you. The face one. I mean, it's it's so incredible. I mean, I, I almost hesitate saying this as a beauty editor, but because I do have sensitive skin, sometimes I don't love trying SPFs daily from a, from a lot of brands because it does, you know, I get a rosacea flare up or I get some clogged pores or I don't know, my skin just doesn't agree with it. And as a beauty editor, I know how bad it is <laughs> to not constantly talk about how you need to wear SPF daily, but sometimes it can be a struggle when you have sensitive skin. It really can. So finding a good sensitive skin sunscreen is like such a challenge, but this one, it, it, it's so good. It does not bother my skin at all. I'm, oh, I'm so good quite to hear. a fan. Yeah, you have a, a major convert on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So the last thing I ask my guests mm. is, how do you take care of yourself? You know, we, we talk about skincare quite a bit with topicals, of course. That's what people want to know about. But everything is skincare. From the way you sleep, from your mental health, to how you move your body. And so I, I just want to know how you take care of yourself. Thanks for the invite to share that. I have a couple things that I'll share, some that are really pedestrian and others that maybe are a little bit more idiosyncratic. And then I'll invite you to join me with one or two because you have great looking okay. skin and you're also working with a group that thinks about this stuff a lot. So I would love for both me and your listeners to hear a couple yeah. of Alex Engler's okay. for the best, but I'll, here's mine. So the pedestrian one is, and I don't know where I learned this, but whoever she or he was, thank you. The, the first thing I do when I get up is I drink a decent sized glass of water. And I don't know what it is, if it's placebo or it's that water, but I feel like that intention and that activity, it gets my day off to a good start. And I really like it. I don't know who suggested that to me, but it was a really good thing. So that's sort of pedestrian and sort of strange. I think one of the, the, the well-being rituals that I love the most, and I did it this morning, which is when I had our, our daily defense on, is I love running on the beach in the morning with my dog. He's just the, the best companion. And so we go for runs and it's very beautiful here. I, I live in San Francisco. And so it's just very nice. And when I have the, the morning to do that early, the sun's rising, it's just awesome. It kind of does all the things for the body and the mind and the spirit that you would hope. Yeah. But I also do things that are a little bit more conventional. I do some meditation, not as much as I would like. I do some yoga, particularly stretching, not always as frequent as I'd like. And I'd say the one thing that I would say I'm not as good at that I want to get better on for well-being, and I would really encourage 
all your listeners to do as I say, not as I do, is a little bit better on sleep. Um, thankfully, yeah. Lauda's products are great, but I do feel I, I push myself a little bit on the sleep and I should probably get a bit more of that. I'd love yeah. to hear your secrets. <laughs> well, I echo the sleep part. I certainly could be a lot better at that aspect. You know, I, I've actually brought this up before, but it's been a while since I've kind of mm. reiterated this point. And it's just, I know we talk about gratitude a lot in the well-being space, and I know that it gets brushed off as a woo-woo behavior and I know that it can seem cheesy and I know that like I I'm a typical New Yorker I am somebody who doesn't like being like the world is beautiful and like all the time you know like I I am a New Yorker I do have that edge to me but I do think that there is something beautiful about being grateful for the world around you yes but being grateful for your body and being grateful for your skin and the connection to skincare and skin health specifically is I, I, I am somebody who, because I think about skin all the time, I tend to take my aggression out on my skin. And what I mean is like, I, when I've had a bad day, when I am not feeling, you know, super confident in myself, I pick at my skin or I will apply like 17 masks at a night. If you watch Euphoria, you know that there's that scene of one of the, the girls at the beginning. I think her name's Cassie, where it's, you know, she has all this anxiety. So she does like a, an hour long skincare routine. Right. And like, I, I'm not that crazy, but I identify with that impulse. <laughs> and, and you're not supposed to do that much with your skin, right? Like you're supposed to care for it. You're supposed to let it do its job. It's an organ after all. You should let it perform like an organ. And so what gratitude for my skin specifically has done is it, it allows me to take a step back and understand that, you know, my skin has functionality outside of what it looks like. You yeah. know, it, your skin's an organ. It has a job. It has a very important job, which is to protect you. And so when you're grateful for that, when you understand that, when you respect that, you're not as prone to tear it down. You're not as prone to criticize it. You're not as prone to pick at it and treat it poorly. Mm. And so, you know, it's a mindset shift, but it's, it's one that really has helped me quite a bit in the way that I take care of myself and take care of my skin is just to to understand and be grateful for what I have and the body that I have and the skin that I have. I love it. Well, yeah. I'm in San Francisco, so there's very little woo-woo that, that probably hasn't already hit us here. But <laughs> no, and what I love about just to, to kind of bring it full circle is, I mean, A, it's just been, you know, really fun for me to, to share some time with you, both in Costa Rica and here. And two is what you're talking about is exactly, I think, the journey that I found myself on, which is to see the interconnection between things and to think about health is going far beyond the superficial that people can see or that we can see and thinking about how it all fits together. And yeah, so maybe we're not great on sleep, but having that intentionality, the gratitude is one key part of overall health. And if that is helping you with your skin and your skin looks right is, I'm going to start a gratitude practice immediately after this conversation. <laughs> I'm on board. Cool. Great. Well, Alex, it was so good to catch up and hear, you know, about your incredible story, which I am lucky enough to have experienced a little bit of when I uh, was down in Costa Rica with you, but I'm so excited to share your story with, you know, others around me and our listeners. And I just, I want to say thank you again for joining today. This has been such, such a pleasure to catch up. Alex, it was so nice. Thanks for inviting me and uh, keep this up. It's really important for people to have access to the philosophy you're sharing. And I'm grateful for the passion you brought to it today. So thank you too. 
Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.